what I basically learned is that this career path is interesting, but that it really is nothing about it that's easy. Running tests isn't easy. Steering towards wins and results isn't easy. And I had a ton of self-doubt and times when I got knocked off my horse along the way. Hello and welcome to the pod. I'm your host, Andrew Kaplan. This is the Delivering Value Podcast. It's the first episode. This is the pilot, Creating Without Guests. And this is the show that I've wanted to create forever. I've had this in my mind for the last three years. I just kept putting it off making this show. I wanted it to be perfect. I wanted the production quality to be out of this world. I wanted to make sure I had my guests line up and my questions fleshed out. I wanted to do all those things that are hard to do when you first start anything. And after reflecting on it, what I realized is that anything I've been incredibly successful at, I've sucked at first. And that really the most important thing is just to get in the game and iterate quickly and get a whole bunch of feedback and take action over perfection. So this is going to be one of those times. And if you work in growth, that probably resonates, right? This is the growth operating system. It's like a core operating principle of working on a growth team is you want to make sure to validate things before you invest too much. And this is one of those times for me. So sometimes you got to send it. This is the first episode, Delivering Value. Thanks for being here. And so for anyone who's not familiar with me, I'm Andrew. I'm going to be your host. And I have worked really in B2B SaaS for the last 15 years. The first half of my career really as a marketer, worked at a big ad agency. I ended up going to this uh, marketing software company, HubSpot, was there for a long time. Uh, and then another marketing, video marketing software company called Wistia. Uh, it was the first half of my career. And then the second half was working and leading cross-functional growth teams. I transitioned from a marketer, acquisition marketer, into growth. I started and scaled a cross-functional growth team at Wistia. Super fun. I went to another product-led company before I knew what product-led growth really was. I was, you know, I've been doing it for four years before I think I really understood the category. Uh, but I went to another product-led company called Postscript as their head of growth. I just love the growth space. And 18 months ago, I left my full-time job of being a head of growth to build my own business, which is called Delivering Value. It's the name of the podcast. It's also the name of my business. I run a one-person business. I'm a solopreneur. It's just me. And, you know, I never intended on starting a business, but when I worked in growth, I was early in the Reforge network. I think I took Reforge back in 2015 before it was even called Reforge. At the time, it was called Silicon Valley Business Review. It was run by, still run by Brian and Andrew, but it was called SVBR. And I was in like one of the first cohorts of that. And what I learned, like my mind was blown when I took Reforge. I'm like anyone listening to this, probably 90% of you have taken some Reforge program, if not multiple. I just felt like I got my, my doctorate in like SAS and growth theory. And it just provided structure to everything that was buzzing around in my brain. But I worked at a relatively small company. And I had a hard time implementing a lot of the things that I was learning. And I thought it was me. Like, I just thought I was bad at this. I thought, <laughs> I thought I was just fucking stuff up. And so somewhere along the line, I started sharing things that we were trying, whether it was in a small conference talk or in a blog article. And I started to post on LinkedIn a little bit more. This is probably back in like 2017, 2018. I just started sharing things that we were trying and things that we were learning as I led this small cross-functional growth team that for the most part was just fucking stuff up and making a whole bunch of mistakes. Um, but I loved it. And somewhere along the line, other people reached out to me. 
And they said, Hey, I read this thing, or I, I heard this thing where you talked about this challenge and you know, we're actually going through the same challenge. Could I pick your brain on it? And I would always say yes, because I don't, I, you know, I'm just a normal dude. Like, of course, you know, I was, I was just flattered truthfully that anyone wanted my advice and thought what I was doing was interesting or intelligent. And so I said, yes, honestly, out of, out of like ego. And what I realized is that a lot of people struggle with the same challenges that I was facing. And, you know, in retrospect, I was fortunate enough to have worked at a company that gave me a long leash and gave me a lot of trust, ownership, and accountability and encouraged me to make mistakes along the way and encouraged me to share those mistakes along the way publicly as well, which I didn't appreciate at the time. But in retrospect, it was one of the keys to my success in my, my learning. And so I always said yes, and I chatted with folks. And I, at some point, started working with a professional coach right around 2020. And I just felt lost. Like all my career ambitions were to become director of growth, head of growth at some cool tech company. And like candidly, when I got there, I just felt really lost and unfulfilled. Like on paper, I got to the place that I was always excited to get to. And I thought when I got there, I would just feel amazing from that day on. And maybe this resonates with some of you, but I I just felt like once I accomplished my goal, I just felt totally lost and unfulfilled and sad and like kind of depressed. And so I thought I was broken. So I started working with a professional coach. She was amazing. She quickly pointed out that's super common and that anyone who achieves a major goal in their life often feels lost when they achieve it until you come up with your next goal. And, you know, she pointed out to me that oftentimes people that have achieved at the highest level of their profession, especially in sports, oftentimes fall into a state of sadness or depression or feeling lost and lack of identity when they achieve their professional ambitions, uh, whether it's winning a medal or, you know, winning a finals or an MVP, whatever it is that there's all these stories out there. And so I felt comfortable and, and like excited that it wasn't just me and I wasn't alone, but I still didn't know what to do. And through her encouragement, what I realized is that I was most fulfilled when people reached out to me and asked to pick my brain. And she said, well, what if you just charged for that? What if that was your next act where you work with more, I don't want to call them junior me's, but people who worked on cross-functional growth teams that were hitting challenges like the ones that I had faced. What if you just helped them and that was your next act? And I was like, man, that would be my dream job because that's what I love to do. My mom's an executive coach. I've always been passionate about helping people. And you know, since I've been a toddler, my mom has worked from home and in the other room, I've heard her coaching executives. And so I knew what it looked like to coach someone. And I've been hearing my mom do it in the background and helping is in my DNA. And I just felt like, well, that seems like it could be really cool. Like it actually could be something that's really interesting, but who in the world would pay me? Like, that's not a thing. If someone reached out to me for advice, they should just go to someone smarter than I I should just set it to reforge is what I thought. And she said, why don't you try it? And so I did. And so I decided that I would call my business Delivering Value, which is what it's called today, because it represented my views on growth. You know, I just felt like there was a lot of people looking for shortcuts and hacks and things that were different than my philosophy. And so Delivering Value really is the core of my growth philosophy, which is to learn what's valuable to users and find creative and exciting ways to deliver that value to your users. And then if you do that, usually the growth outputs or outcomes that you're looking for, whether it's acquisition or activation or conversion, usually take care of themselves. And 
you know, I thought it was sort of a double-edged, you know, a double meaning word because delivering value also could be my approach as a coach would be to show up and try to give whoever it is I was coaching as much value as humanly possible. So a year and a half ago, I left my full-time job in, in May or June of 2021 to build this business first time, uh, full-time, excuse me. And here I am 18 months later, it couldn't have gone any better. Like in terms of actual results, I just feel like this business surpassed any of my expectations. Uh, my client roster is 100% full. I can't take on more folks. I have increased my income substantially over my full-time job while decreasing the amount of time that I work, decreasing my stress, honestly, from like an eight stress level on most days or seven or eight level stress level is how I felt when I was ahead of growth every day to now it's like a two out of 10. And beyond that, I'm just more present every day with my family. Uh, I'm able to be hyper present with clients. I feel like I'm making a difference in people's and businesses lives. And I just feel like I'm right where I'm supposed to be. And so I'm excited to make this pod because as someone who works with people that lead cross-functional growth teams, what I've learned is that everybody feels like they're fucking it up. Like I've worked with probably 35 or 40 different people who work on a growth team, whether they're mid-level or, or leading the team. And they all feel the same. They all feel like they're not worthy of their success. They all feel like they're making a bunch of mistakes. They all feel like they're about to be found out. They all struggle with imposter syndrome. And that actually those things are super common. And every single person who reaches out to me feels like it's them. It feels like they're not doing a good job, that they're fucking it up, that they aren't made for this career path. And what I've learned is that everybody feels that way, but some people are able to feel those feelings and push them aside and continue on and have that be something that motivates them. And that there's other people who feel those feelings and it stops them and it becomes almost like a traumatic event, something that they take with them from job to job. Maybe there's even like a, an actual event, like a layoff or a bad performance review or something where it stays with them, almost like a disease or a sickness and it impacts their success. And so I'm excited to make this show to explore that, to basically talk to people who lead cross-functional growth teams and learn one about their adversity and about their mistakes and about their imposter syndrome. I want to surface that. And then I want to explore how they're able to keep going through that adversity while the rest of us get stuck. And that's really the, the goal of this show. It may morph into other things. I initially was kicking around the idea of calling it, um, and I kept going anyways, like was going to be the name of the show. And I was like, you know what? I don't want to, I don't want to lock myself into that angle because I'm probably going to iterate. Like I work in growth. I know I'm going to iterate. And I don't want to have to rename the show if I decide to go in a different direction, but this is the initial thesis of the show. I'm exploring three main topics with most guests, how to work with imposter syndrome, how to handle nonlinear career paths and bumps in the road, and what makes great leadership for a cross-functional growth team. Those are going to be the three things that we dig into on this show. And in this pilot episode, I'm going to share some of my personal thoughts, journeys, experiences here. I'm going to be extremely vulnerable within reason, and maybe it'll resonate with a few folks who are listening. And so as, as we kind of get going, let's kick off from there. And so I shared a little bit about my journey already, but really my growth origin story probably started in about 2015. As I mentioned, I was an acquisition marketer working at Wistia. My job was to get 
more signups basically. So freemium model before really freemium was super popular and the business I just thought was so interesting, super high volume business. Like I'm only going to share stuff that was published on the website. I won't share anything proprietary uh, in this pod, but at the time they had like a couple hundred thousand free users, uh, tens of thousands of paying customers and zero people working in sales. And I was like, man, this is the business for me. I just think this is so fascinating. So I worked uh, in acquisition, really trying to monetize more of their existing traffic and convert more of their existing visitors into signups. And over time, through a lot of experimentation, we did. I mean, it wasn't just me. I mean, I led this team that was focused on conversion rate optimization. But over time, through like a nine-month period, we drove 15 or 20% more signups. So we felt pretty good about that. But the challenge was, you know, I was a data nerd and I was looking at the data and it was clear that we weren't getting 15 to 20% more sales. And so I kind of got addicted to like this feedback loop that you get when you work at a high volume business. And so I could see that a lot of the people who were signing up, they weren't really using the product in meaningful ways. Uh, you know, they weren't turning into active free accounts. They, you know, they weren't, the retention was low and that really they weren't converting into paying customers. And so I pitched, could we take the same approach to problem solving conversion challenges, this A-B testing conversion rate optimization approach, but could we take it to the new user experience? Because I'm seeing people who are dropping out of the funnel in the data. And I wonder if I could do a bunch of experimentation to fix that a little bit. And initially it was a, it was a straight no. They were like, no fucking way, dude. You're a marketer, stay in your lane. The product team was not happy about it. And so I was sad and I went back to my acquisition lane and I stayed in there for a little while longer. And through the encouragement of a mentor, they encouraged me to get closer to the problem. They said something like, I'm going to paraphrase, but they said something like the person who is closest to the problem and understands it the most tends to get trusted to implement the best solution. Even if you don't know what it is yet, if you understand the problem most, people usually will trust that you'll figure out the right answer. So I dove in. And I just started learning as much as I could about what happens after people signed into the product for the first time. And I got addicted to watching Full Story, basically like a tool where you can see people navigate around the product. And I just watched like dozens and dozens, maybe hundreds probably, of people sign in and use the product for the first time. And eventually, I found people who signed up for the product who we would be so excited to have become customers, like famous brands, brands that we like, we would put their logos on our homepage if they, if they converted to paying customers. And I watched them sign into our product, poke around, hit some bug or have a shitty experience and leave and never come back. And so I found like 10 or 12 of them in full story. And I set up a session with our executive team. And I said, look, I'm just a dude who works in marketing, but look what's happening in the product. I'm acquiring or we're acquiring these amazing users into the product, but they're not doing anything. Look, these are the people that I, that you would be excited for us to have as customers. We got them into the tool. We did the hard part, but now they're leaving because they're not having a great experience and we're not giving them value. And I played 10 of them in a row and the mood in the room was fucking tense. Like, like Chris and Brendan are the founders. They like, you, you could just see that they were uncomfortable. They were upset. People were shifting around in their chairs. And it was clear that after that day, somebody needed to work on this new user experience thing. And initially it wasn't me. They were like, hey, the product team will work on it. 
Andrew, maybe you can consult with them, right? If you think about the racy matrix, I was someone who's like consulted on the approach and maybe informed on when it was shipped or whatever. And slowly over time, the product team would come back to me and say, hey, what do you think? Is this good? Did we get it? Hey, can you check the data for us? And I always said yes, because I felt very flattered. And eventually that morphed into me getting more ownership over the approach. And eventually that morphed into me leading a cross-functional product growth team. Um, that was kind of my journey into growth. From there, I got to take on all kinds of stuff I had no business working on, conversion from free to paid, pricing optimization. We even migrated like tens of thousands of customers from the old pricing to a new pricing model that my team eventually had discovered. I got to, it was my dream job. I scaled this amazing cross-functional team focused on growing the business um, in a, you know, balancing sales and self-service. Eventually they, they did scale like a small sales team and it wasn't purely e-commerce, but I just loved it. And that is really my journey into growth. That's how I got into this space. That started in 2015. It's 2023 now. I've been doing it ever since. I love it. This is what I was meant to do. And, you know, I shared a few of those, but like my journey into growth wasn't easy. Like, you know, I, I glossed over the story right there, but I doubted myself all the time. Like I got feedback from the product team that was like, dude, stay in your lane. Like, I, you know, I was working with some engineers and sometimes they would pull me aside and be like, hey, the way that you communicate tasks to us isn't really like how we like to work. And what I basically learned is that this career path is interesting, but that it really is nothing about it that's easy. Running tests isn't easy. Steering towards wins and results isn't easy. And I had a ton of self-doubt and times when I got knocked off my horse along the way. But I just kept going because I just couldn't, I couldn't stop doing it. Like there was nothing I could see myself doing that would be more stimulating intellectually to me versus leading these teams and tinkering and testing is how I thought about it. Uh, and I described it to my family as e-commerce, but for software. And I just thought I'd rather work in e-commerce for software versus pure e-commerce just because there's more meat on the bone. I can use the product as an actual tool more so than if I you know, worked as uh, you know, a more traditional e-commerce brand. And so for me, you know, I like to share a lot of my learnings online. Like if you have heard of me or followed me before, LinkedIn is the channel that I'm most active on. I post on there almost daily and I'll just share things that I'm working on, things that I'm learning, challenges that I'm facing. And the thing that people have shared with me is they're like, oh, it seems like you know all the answers. And what I tell them is no. I tell them like, I don't know all the answers at all. Uh, I'm still learning daily and fucking stuff up. A lot of times I, I know what doesn't work, but Definitely, it has not been easy working on growth, but I just keep going because I've been motivated by not doing anything else. Like I just, again, I can't see myself doing something else that I find more enjoyable. And that's why I just keep going, even though that there's pain in the moments and in the day-to-day. -day. And so I mentioned this a little bit before, but one of the things that I think has helped me in my career is that I got a little lucky and that I landed in a great environment to work in growth. Like when I think about what the most successful growth leaders are, you know, they're, they're smart, they're data-driven, they're intellectual, they're driven towards results. All those things are true, but a lot of times they're in the right environment to be successful. So for me, I mentioned I worked at Wistia. There was a ton of room to fail. In my initial interview for an acquisition marketer, our CEO said like, hey, we need to be failing from time to time for us to know where the line is. And if we're not failing, we're actually disappointed that we're not trying enough. So that was a core part of like how they operated at that time. And they focused on learning. 
So I had a mentor there who was the head of marketing at the time who transitioned to another role eventually. But he said, look, if we're running a bunch of tests, some are going to be hit and a bunch are going to be missed. But what if we set success as learning something really specific? And then regardless if the test wins or loses, we'll get smarter for the next test. And over time, that should lead us towards results. And so I love that. And so I just went in full steam ahead and just prioritized learning, ran a whole bunch of tests, and I kind of just couldn't get enough. Like I was super persistent. I just wanted to win. And because of that, I don't think I got too discouraged when things didn't, didn't go my way because I just would define, here's what we learned from that. Here's what we do from that learning. And it was because I was in the right environment. And so that's one of the things that I always work on now with coaching clients is to make sure that they're in the right environment. Sometimes they'll hit some snags or tough feedback or culturally their, their company won't really be ready for growth. And all that comes down to, are you in the right environment? There's all kinds of people that have talked about what is the right environment. But for me, it has a lot to do with, um, you know, outside of like the quantitative metrics, do you have support, encouragement, mandates to fail and to be learning? and to be pushing the envelope. Like that's really, really key to these types of roles. And so even if you have the right environment to be successful working on a growth team, like working at high growth companies is really fucking stressful. Like everybody who I talk to, they, they think it's easy to work at a winner. They're like, oh, you lead a growth team at whatever the company is, right? They think it's easy. But in my experience, it's insanely hard. Like it's hard to work at a company that isn't growing fast, right? You're frustrated. You're feeling like it's you. Maybe you're feeling some pressure from the VCs. You might feel a little bit of like nervousness that you might lose your job. But what I find is that sometimes you feel worse when the company is crushing it because you're, you're just constantly nervous, right? Your, your job is constantly changing. Your role is changing. Because of that, your expectations and accountability is changing and you just feel unsettled at any given moment. And that's how I felt. And the truth is I've had to seek out mentorship to find ways to navigate that, ways that I can continue to grow within a company that's growing really fast. Because um, one of the concerns is that the company's going to outgrow your skill set, right? You've probably seen this a lot where they hire someone to be a head of whatever the department is, head of growth, head of marketing, whatever. And then at some point in time, they hire someone above that person and they change everybody's titles. You know, and that head of becomes a director of growth and they hire a, a chief growth officer or a VP of growth or whatever it is. And so you constantly need to be learning, letting go of previous gigs and leveling up. And that makes you feel unsettled at any given moment. And when you work at a really high growth company, protecting your energy and especially like drawing boundaries in your work-life balance, that shit is really, really tough. And like, truthfully, I haven't done a great job in this. Like early in my career, I feel like I kind of came up in the hustle era of SaaS. I would prioritize the work over the life. You know, there's been plenty of times when I've stayed late or I felt an obligation to like kind of put in some FaceTime and I'd come in. I wouldn't come in early. I wasn't an early bird, um, but I would stay late and I'd make a conscious effort to stay late and I'd make an effort to check in on stuff on the weekends. And a lot of times I'd put the company over myself. And in retrospect, I don't actually think that helped my career because it prolonged my my learning and the ability to prioritize, which is really what you need at the next levels. And so if I could have done it over, like the challenges of working at high growth companies, I, I, and I could have done it over, I would have drawn much better boundaries between work-life stuff 
so that I would learn to prioritize and I would learn to do a better job of delegating out and learn to do a better job of managing up because things don't always go that well. And so for me, I've had, I'm just going to be vulnerable here and share a little bit of insight. Like I've had some bad performance reviews and I've gotten some brutal feedback that has impacted my confidence and my success. Uh, And I'm going to share this because, well, one, the point of the podcast is to share and to surface that working in these career paths isn't easy. And that just because you've hit speed bumps doesn't mean that you won't work through them. And so I'm going to share a few of mine. And, you know, I've had a couple of bad performance reviews, but probably the worst is during my time at Wistia, I got feedback in my performance review written out from a colleague of mine who I'm not going to share more details there out of respect to their privacy, but they wrote in my performance review that I took credit for their ideas publicly. And as someone with my background who now works really spending my days coaching, empowering, and helping other people to be successful. It's probably the worst feedback that I ever got. I forget the exact words that the person wrote, but it was something like, Andrew took my idea and it wasn't the first time. And he presented it in front of the whole company as if it was his idea. And it made me feel bad, basically. Um, And I felt fucking awful about it. And so as I reflect on it, this was because of my ability not to establish better work-life boundaries. So I'll just share the context. So This was a time when Wistia went through some leadership changes. The company had shifted its strategy. They had a major strategy shift and they let go of, at the time, our head of marketing. They they parted ways. And so as part of that, they asked if I would step in, even though I was head of growth, if I would step in to lead our marketing team in an interim capacity. I don't know if leading it was the word that they used, but to to provide leadership to that team. Uh, I got a couple of the direct reports. And in general, I was going to be advocating and representing that team in in larger company events. And in retrospect, this should have made my spidey senses tingle because essentially they had given me a lot of accountability, but I really had no authority to to like actually make changes to the team, right? It was an interim job and I wasn't really leading the team. I was just advocating and representing the team. And so mostly what I found is that I just felt shitty all the time. Like I had all this pressure on me and I still had to report on the results and I still had to manage the team and I still had to like do all this stuff. But for the most part, I couldn't really make any decisions. I was always handcuffed because I was in this interim thing and I didn't really have the title and it sucked. And so as part of this, I was just presenting all the time separately. And for me, presenting always flares my anxiety. Like I have gotten feedback in my career that I have been a good presenter at times, but it never felt good to me. And every time I present, the morning I wake up and I know I'm going to present that day, it's the first thing that I think about. Like it has that level of impact on my life and my mental health. And so when you combine all these things, I was just fucking anxious all day, every day. Like because I had all this accountability on me, but no authority, it was like the team was always pushing me to advocate for them. I was getting pushback from the executive team to just like kind of manage the team and make sure that everything was cool. And I was presenting all the time. So I was always like kind of nervous about that. Uh, I I was a mess. And so I think because of that, there was one day when I was presenting, or maybe more than one day, I don't know, but I was in such a bad headspace that I did take credit for someone's idea. And and it like wasn't on purpose. Somebody shared a great idea with me and I tried to surface it with the rest of the company. And I don't know the exact words that I used because it was so long ago, but I think I said something like, hey, it, you know, it it seems like we should be doing more this X, whatever that, that was. And I never gave a nod publicly to the person whose idea it was. And they put it on my review. 
And in retrospect, I thought it was obvious that as the person advocating for the team, that I was just representing the team and the team's ideas and the team's work. And, you know, a lot of what you do as a leader is you share idea, you know, you surface ideas and results that aren't your direct work. And I thought it was obvious that everybody knew it wasn't my idea, but the person whose idea it was really took offense to that and understandably so. And so that was tough uh, and it made me feel bad and it kind of made me question my whole identity as a leader and as a manager. Um, and it took me a long time to shake that shit. And so the uh, a second time, <laughs> I've had two bad performance reviews. The second time um, was I got feedback that I wasn't being effective as a growth leader. And look, I'd gotten feedback from the leadership team that they wanted a little bit more innovation in our growth ideas versus optimization. If you follow uh, Adam Fishman, he has an amplitude talk where he goes deep on like the different stages of growth. He talks about the building stage, the optimization stage, and the innovation stage. And so I had spent a lot of time in the building and optimizing stages of growth. And that was sort of what I knew. And my company had said, look, we want you to innovate a little bit more. Um, and I felt a little bit handcuffed here because at the time, you know, we were going through a resource constrained period. And so I didn't have dedicated engineers. And basically, you know, if you work in growth, you know, there's only so much that you can do without having dedicated builders. And so I was having to scope everything back to these really, really micro tests and MVPs to validate stuff. And look, it's hard to have a big impact on your own. And so in retrospect, I didn't pound my fist hard enough on the table about getting the resources that I need to be successful. Like in retrospect, that was my job as our growth lead was to advocate for what I need to be successful and to communicate that to leadership. And I didn't do a good enough job there. I thought I was being a team player by scoping things down and not gobbling up all the resources. But the truth was nobody remembered what a team player I was being when it came to review time. And as the head of growth, I was accountable and it sucked. I, I had a tough conversation and look, as a coach, it's a valuable experience for me. It's a story that I tell clients all the time when I hear them really scoping things back too much or avoiding the really impactful work because they just can't take it on. They don't have the resources and they're scared to, they don't have to pound the table, but they're scared to really advocate for what they need. As a coach, I also speak with people all day, every day who struggle with imposter syndrome. They feel like they're unworthy of their success. They feel like they're about to be found out. They feel like they're making these rookie mistakes that they should know by now. And for me, I, I feel that to this day, every day. I don't know if this ever goes away because for me, when I first got into growth back in 2015, I couldn't get enough. I, you know, as I mentioned, I was in Reforge. I would go to all the conferences back then and I would watch the recordings. This was back when there's a really famous conference that's on YouTube that I think is called like 500 Startups or something. And, and it was like this WMD conference. I think it's like Weapons of Mass Destruction maybe or Distribution or something. You can look it up on YouTube, but it's basically all the first generation of growth leaders presented here. It was like Brian Balfour, some of the early Facebook team, Chamath might've been there. It was like really the, like the OGs of growth. And so I loved it. And so I just gobbled all this shit up. And basically every really smart idea that I heard from someone who was successful, I would just try those ideas and I would try them at Wistia because I had a long leash. And what I learned is most of the stuff that these other people were trying, it wasn't working for me. And I thought it was me. And I was like, well, man, it's working for these other people. They said that they made this change or they tracked this type of report and that it opened up all these insights and it gave them all these wins and that's not working for me. And so I thought it was me. 
And then when I started, you know, and I'd get some constructive feedback, I'd be like, fuck, it really is me. <laughs> and so um, the things that have helped me is the mentorship that I got to really reframe my thinking about growth to optimize for learning versus output, especially in the early days, and then creating a support network of other folks who were in similar roles at similar type of companies. And that has been helpful for me when my imposter syndrome flares up. And so even with that, like I speak with a lot of folks who suffer from some kind of work trauma or work anxiety. Basically, there has been something that has happened to them that they take with them from job to job. And sometimes it, it flares up where I'll, I'll speak with a client and they'll be like, hey, you know, I'm at this company, I'm X number of months in, and at every company I've been to at this point in my career there, something bad happens and this is kind of when like my downward trajectory starts and my spidey senses are tingling and I'm freaking the fuck out. And so like that resonates with me and I feel that, you know, and if you've been laid off, maybe this has happened to you, right? Where we're in early 2023, there's a ton of layoffs going on. I've been laid off twice and you know, like if you get laid off, it changes your relationship with work where you feel a little jaded. You might feel like you don't want to give your full self at your next job because you don't want to get burned in that way again. Like you can really follow you from job to job. And so for me, the thing that makes me, you know, the most anxious is probably public speaking. It's actually why I prefer to do things like this, like to create podcast content or video content or to write and post on LinkedIn because I'm not in front of the room. I fucking get so nervous when I get in front of the room and I've always been that way. And for a long time, I powered through it. And I had an event that, that really like is the thing that I think about when I'm feeling really anxious about, about public speaking. Like I will still speak publicly. Um, it just takes a lot out of me emotionally because I had a situation where I was in front of the room and I was sharing some quarterly plans in front of a team of like 40 people. And I got roasted publicly. Like I was in front of the room, I was sharing my plans and I started getting pushback. And the pushback was getting more intense and more intense. And it started to feel a little bit critical of me personally. And I hadn't ate breakfast that day. And I had like three cups of coffee because I was nervous because I was presenting. And I'm always nervous when I present. And in front of the room, as I'm presenting my, my quarterly plans in front of all of our executive team, I had a panic attack. And it was one of my first panic attacks that I've ever had. I've had more than this one, but this was one of the most intense because I was in a public place and I couldn't, I couldn't hide. And so as I'm in front of the room, I can just feel it welling up. I can feel my heart rate increase. I can feel my blood get hot. I can feel my face feel like a little bit fuzzy and I'm having a hard time breathing. And I stopped focusing on the people that are in the room. And I just started to like feel like I was in a daze and nobody knew. Like that's how it felt to me. But afterwards, I talked to some peers who were in the room who, um, who knew it was a challenging meeting for me and they asked how I was doing. And I told them and they had no idea. But in the moment, I felt like fucking crying and dying all at the same time. If anyone's had a panic attack that's listening to this, you know what it feels like. It feels, it feels horrible. And so for me, that's an event, a traumatic event for me that took me a long time to get over. I mean, it's still something that I think about. I can, I can go back to that moment in a heartbeat. And it's something that I try to power through. And even after that, I've gotten feedback that I have been, um, you know, a very eloquent presenter. And in the back of my mind, I'm always worried that that guy is going to come out, the panic attack guy. And so I share this story because 
whatever your event is or your thing is, it doesn't have to define you and hold you back. You can work through it and continue on and still get really good feedback. You don't become the thing that happened to you, but it doesn't mean that it ever goes away and it doesn't mean that it doesn't have real weight. And so I silently suffered for a long, long time. And now as a coach, I help people who are silently suffering. Because the main thing is not to bring this from one experience to too, too many others. And it's also something, if you're listening to this, if you're a leader, you have to also understand the impact that you might make on your team and create a safe environment for your team so they can be successful and to do their most successful work. Because you know, if you've ever had an event like this, afterwards, you start working scared. You're scared that that's going to happen again. And because of that, you start doing things that are safe, doing things that aren't going to push you know, too many buttons, doing, doing work that's not going to be as bold or as impactful because you're scared that something bad is going to happen again. And that is no place to be successful from. So that's no good. And so as we transition into the next topic of growth leadership, I think the hardest part about being ahead of growth is that growth is still a relatively new capability. And although it's a lot more popular than it has been when I started in 2015, most of the companies who I encountered still today don't have cross-functional growth teams. Those that do have growth teams or are hiring for people to lead their growth teams, they often define growth as a different thing. Like I see so many companies hiring ahead of growth and you poke at it and it's like a marketing job. Or sometimes I've seen people with a head of growth title who are, who are like on the sales team. And I think it's misalignment around what growth is, what growth owns and how growth gets the work done. This is what makes this so hard. Like one of your biggest jobs as head of growth is teaching everybody those things. It's teaching people what your growth team is working on and why and how they approach the work and how you can work together with them and making sure that they're on board with your approach, that they're on board with your desire to question the way that things have always been. And if you don't do those things, those are the things that trip you up. Where if you put your head down and think, hey, I'm just going to start plugging away and making progress and people will understand what I'm doing and get excited, then that's that's usually the first step in starting to go down the road of, of like not being as successful. Because if you don't get that alignment down the road, you're going to be in big trouble. And so the thing that I've learned is the main soft skill that can help someone who's in this type of role, head of growth role, or wants to become a head of growth down the road is really communication. It's like, if you can be a great communicator, you can get alignment, you can share what you're working on with other levels of leadership. You can bring the folks along from other capabilities as to what you're working on. You can um, share your vision of what the future looks like and bring people along on that journey. But for the most part, you can also communicate your learnings, which can enable these other teams to also be successful. And if you enable other teams to be successful, your influence is going to dramatically grow within the organization. So communication skills is always one of the most important things that I think is important for people that lead cross-functional growth teams and managing up, like the ability to manage up and to proactively let your manager, who's usually the CEO slash founder know, here's what I'm working on. Here's what I'm prioritizing. Here's what I've deprioritized. Here's what I want to surface to you today. And here's what I need your help on. Like that in itself, just the ability to clearly and succinctly do that is huge. And so I've learned some of these things, but only because I've fucked them up a whole bunch of times beforehand. Um, Because you constantly have to be sharing that stuff. And I think once you like have documented and organized like what your strategy is and you've created an operating system, 
every time you share things at the company, you've got to, you've got to tie it back to your operating system and your strategy to reinforce that stuff. And so these are things that I've learned on the job. So like when I was at PostScript, every time that I would present, I would reinforce my strategy and my OS. So I would say something like, hey, I'm going to show you this cool experiment that we just ran. As a reminder, our growth, you know, growth is focused on these things. And as part of our operating system, we like to run a lot of experiments before investing too deeply. Here's an example of that. Here's one of the projects that we just worked on. It's this program. Here's how it went. Here's what we've learned. Here's what that means for all of you. And what I found is little tweaks to your style like that produce a big change in how other people receive the information. And so as I mentioned, like working in growth, for me anyways, hasn't been super easy. The journey has not been linear. But I just keep going because I cannot see myself doing something different. Like I just fundamentally believe in my heart that this is what I was made to do. And then I'm smart enough to figure out any bumps that I hit along the way. The way I like the voice in my head that I that I'll like speak to myself in when something tough happens is I'll just say, why not me? Like, why can't I figure this out? Are the other people who are doing this that much better than me that I can't get there? And so it's a mindset. Why not me? Tactically, I started asking for way more feedback early and often. For me, I felt like I was always bracing, waiting to get some tough feedback, waiting for someone to tell me, hey, you're not doing a good job or hey, we're not happy with how this is going. So I just wanted to avoid that, especially after getting a couple bad performance reviews. I don't ever want that happen. I didn't ever want that to happen again. So I started asking for more feedback. Uh, once a quarter or at the end of a big initiative, I would basically ask my peers to do a retro for me. You know, I would just not, I don't want to like overcomplicate it. I would just send out the group of people who I was working with. I would send them an email with three questions. What should I start doing that I'm not currently doing? What am I currently doing that I should stop doing? And what should I continue doing? That I'm already doing today. And I would just ask them to email me back. And most people wouldn't email me back or they'd say, I don't really have anything. Or they'd say, let me think about it. And they'd never get back to me. And that's part of the deal. But some people would email me back with amazing ideas and like good feedback. Or sometimes folks would say, hey, let's grab a coffee. I'll give you my feedback in person. Like whatever that is, is fine. But the feedback that I got helped me to course correct and to take that feedback that felt like a paper cut in the moment before it became a big thing that felt really heavy down the road. And so that's some of my advice. Collect feedback early and often, get better at getting better, and course correct on your own before someone else has to tell you. And so if you're listening to this and you're encountering some type of adversity in your career, know that it's normal. It might even be a good thing. Like nobody has ever accomplished anything great in a straight line, especially not in the growth space. Like you've got to hit some adversity. And the reality is if you don't, you'll probably be insanely bored. Like we work in growth because we're addicted to the action and the energy and the learnings and the results. And we're probably a little bit competitive if you're anything like me. And so adversity is a part of that. Speed bumps are all part of the journey. And the reality is on the mindset side, you have to remind yourself that work is just one part of you. You've got to get fulfillment from other places. I feel like this has been one of my challenges throughout my time in growth is I put a lot of my personal identity as you know associated as a guy who worked in growth that worked on a growth team like head of growth i would i would wear it like a badge of honor with my friends and in my communities online and what i learned after working with another coach is that if you get your positive fulfillment from work you also will get your negative associations from work as well 
For example, and this is true for me even now running Delivering Value as a coach, if I have an amazing day, I sign off at the end of that day and I'm swagging. Like around my family, I'm swagging. I got a big smile on my face. I can't wait to tell my wife how great my day was and I'm feeling good. And on the flip side, what I've learned is if you feel that way when things go well, when things don't go well, like for me now, if I lose a client or if um, I don't close a client that I thought would be an amazing fit or if like a sponsorship I was hoping for didn't pull through or whatever, I would take that shit with me to dinner too. And I would sulk and I'd feel bad and I'd wake up in the middle of the night thinking about it. And the same thing happened to me as a head of growth, right? When I had a huge experiment win or a big program win or we had a good quarter, it would be the same ups and downs versus when you know we had a loss or we missed a, we missed a revenue goal or whatever it might be. And so I actually had to create a mantra through the encouragement of a coach of mine. And my mantra is, you are not your job. You get your fulfillment from many places. Work is just one of those places. I can be incredibly successful in life, even if my work doesn't go well. And I have that written on my desk. There's like a little sticky note on my computer that reinforces that. And I've got an email that emails myself automatically once a month, a flavor of that note as well. And so I think it's really important to just remember that work is just one part of us, right? And so as we start to wrap up here, I know I've shared a lot of different things around why I'm making this podcast and I've shared some of my personal stories. I guess just to bring it all back home, working in tech is fucking hard. <laughs> it's amazing. It's incredibly fulfilling. It's stimulating and it's a shit ton of fun, but it's not always easy. And adversity is part of the journey. And so whether you lead a growth team now or you're looking to lead one or things are going incredibly well or they're not going incredibly well, it's all ups and downs and that's normal. And the thing that I want to encourage folks to, to just come back to is if something is happening right now, know that this is all part of the process. I'm going to be interviewing other people as I record this episode, although it's the first episode that you'll hear, it's not the first that I've recorded. So I've already spoken with a few folks. The next couple episodes will be with amazing people like Sam Richard, who was um, VP of growth at OpenView, now is head of growth at Engrock, and Ben Williams. Ben is the former VP of growth at Sneak and all kinds of other amazing people. What I've learned is that they've all encountered a ton of adversity and that through their beliefs and their habits and their rituals, they find ways to keep going. And so if you've encountered some of that stuff along the way, know that it is normal. Know that all the people that you look up to in SaaS have gone through some flavors of this and finding ways to see the bigger picture is the way through this stuff. Find ways to use it as motivation, as learning to get better and not as something that stops you. So as we get here, I'm, I'm just going to wrap it up. I don't want to keep ranting on this. Thank you for listening. I hope you learned a little bit more about my journey and my mindset, and I can't wait to release the next couple of episodes where I can go deep and chat with my SaaS heroes and all kinds of other folks to hear how they've navigated the crazy growth landscape, some of their imposter syndrome and ways that maybe they felt less than at times and how they worked through that and about some of their nonlinear career paths, right? Some of the bumps and bruises they picked up along the way. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope you continue listening. I would love it if you emailed me and let me know who should be on the pod, what you liked, what you didn't like. I'm going to move fast and iterate quickly, all that good stuff. Thank you. See you next episode. Thank you for listening to the pod. I hope that you enjoyed the episode. If you did, I have an ask. The biggest gift that you could give me as a small business owner and as a content creator would be a review. 
you know the game. You can go on to Apple Podcasts. You can go on Spotify. Leave a review. That would help me service this content to other folks who are like you. Obviously, you should subscribe to the content if you really dug it. And if there's feedback that you have for me, folks you think I should chat with, stuff that you wish I would gloss over faster, whatever it is, I'm all ears. I work in growth. You're not going to hurt my feelings. I, I try to collect feedback and iterate quickly. You can reach out to me on LinkedIn at Andrew Kaplan or on Twitter at at A Otherwise, hope you enjoyed the episode and I'll see you next show.